Well, I think after that, I don't have to preach necessarily, do I? I think coming after that. Good morning, Grace. I've, um, it's been many years. I know, Bill, you said what? Stick to the script? Is that what you said? Stick to the script? Um, the emotions are, are a lot that I feel right now, I have to admit. I just with you, Bill, and remembering Sandy, and I'll come to that in a little bit. I see a lot of faces that I remember, a lot of new ones, which is wonderful as well. I grew up here. My roots are very deep here. This is where I learned the, the basics of my faith. You are the church that first ordained me. That was back in... I, I'm not going to remember. That's when you ordained me and sent me out on, on ministry. We've been in Saugatuck for the last almost nine and a half years now, so we are continuing actively in ministry. And when Bill called up, I thought I would be honored to come back and sing. I have not sung tenor for, since I was at Grace, <laughs> actually, actually, in England, but anyway. I've not sung tenor for a long time, so thank you for putting up with, I'm sure, the squawking that was coming out of the second to the spot. Um, told Bill, I said, I'll come and speak. I started thinking who's going to preach for me and the conversation started going and pretty soon it was, oh, why don't you speak? And I guess I could speak. And Todd, I, Pastor Todd, but Todd, I want to thank you for just an opportunity to come and being graciously willing to let me speak. And there was something very special of connecting back at home with your home church to speak. So thank you, Todd, for that. I started thinking when it came down that I was going to be speaking what, what I should speak on, what is going to fit with heaven and what's going to fit with Sandy. I'm not going to preach on Sandy, you're right, I will preach on Christ our Savior. So thoughts started going through the stories of Christ, stories in the gospel that would fit with the story and where we are going in the, in the service. And I landed on one. There are many that I could have landed on. We landed on this one, and it was Bill and Sandy, really, you kind of inspired it this way, and I'm going to say this in remembrance of her, but you, because you are such a couple. I think of all the great gifts that you have, for me at least, growing up here and watching you over the years. You are authority figures for us, but you are accessible for us. There was that blending between authority and friendship, and it always went to authority, but friendship was right there. And there was this beautiful interaction between authority and friendship. And I, just in reflecting on our Savior and on his style through the Gospels and with us as he guides us through life, you see the Son of God eternal, Christ, the Messiah. And you see one that is, as the writer of Hebrews says, not um, ashamed to call us sisters and brothers. He's one of us. And you have this wonderful accessibility in the spirit now we enjoy it, but all through Christ and his ministry coming from this majestic authority. I always saw glimmers of that in the two of you. Glimmers and Sandy going through and my thoughts were wrapped around how do I get the authority and the relatability of Christ and heaven and all woven together and Mark 5 21 to 43 is what we're going to go through. It is a familiar story I think to many of you about Christ and the power of Christ and the relatability of Christ to us, the way we fellowship with him going through life and the way he guides us 
And then the great hope of the resurrection set before us as well. So I invite you to turn to Mark. I'm not going to read it straight through. I suspect you know the story. Many of you do well. Uh, go step by step through it. You'll get comments coming out of me. So lift your, lift your eyes from now and again to see where we're going as we're going through the text as we're moving through it. But Mark chapter 5, if you have your Bibles open, you'll note where you are in the life of Christ. He has gone through a period back in Mark chapter, well, the earlier chapters of Mark, but especially in chapter 3, a difficult spot where the religious leaders of Israel and his own family were turning away from him. And it was a time of great stress that came upon him, the apostles as well, and his preaching began to shift in chapter 4, trying to help them understand the walk and the walk of ministry and the suffering that is involved in ministry in his own life as he was going through it and teaching them. When you get to chapter 5, you have some glorious stories. The end of chapter 4 is that wonderful story of the storm being stilled, but you get to chapter 5 and you have the power of Christ casting out evil. We're coming to the next statements of the power of Christ here in starting in verse 21. But I'm going to invite you just to stop for a minute, open your hearts in prayer with me, and we'll lift our hearts to the Lord. <coughs> Holy Father, we've just sung of the majesty of your salvation and in our weakness how you save us. We've heard the words of the prophet Isaiah, the mission your mission of salvation. Lord, you've opened the way of eternal life to every race and nation by the gift of your Holy Spirit. Shed abroad this gift throughout the world by the preaching of the gospel, that it may reach the ends of the earth. And as we open the gospels this day, through the Spirit, teach us. And do this as always through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Mark chapter 5, and we're going to start right in, and I'll move through the story. It begins with a question, and you'll see the question. I know Dad, because oh, it goes way back, when Dad would preach it at three points, if you remember, I have two and kind of three. So I'm kind of, kind of working that in, if you remember way back. I don't know how you do that, Todd, but I don't, I don't do that now. Mom knows, Dad knows. He's heard me preaching up. What you're going to get are two parts, really, that come out of this story. And the first is going to focus on a central question. Who is chief in the kingdom of heaven? Who is really central? Who are, who are the rock stars of Christianity? The second one that's going to come out then really comes down to the nature of the gospel. What is our gospel? We'll talk about very core beliefs in Christ our Savior. So let's jump into the story. Starting in verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue rulers, named Jairus, came there. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please, come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. We're going to stop right there for a moment. Synagogue ruler. Now I just told you earlier in his ministry, Christ had 
been rejected by the religious leaders of Israel. His own family was turning. Most of them would not come to faith until after his resurrection. James, Joseph, and a number of them. Here is a, a point for our disciples where they see somebody who is really important coming to Christ. The synagogue ruler is a, it's not exactly a pastor at all. In fact, this is not really clergy. We would not look at it that way. It's a person of um, great importance, but something close to like a chairman of the board of the synagogue. It was someone who was charged with the overseeing of the synagogue, charged with the overseeing of actual worship as well, but somebody that was called out from the lay people. As you can imagine, that's a, something of great honor that was given to somebody to actually have that role. Here comes Jairus, important person in the community. After all the rejection that they've been seeing around Christ, here comes this very important soul. And he doesn't just come up to Jesus. He falls before Christ and he pleads with him, saying, please, heal my daughter. Disciples look and they say, huh. Now, I don't know if you guys think this way. I hope not. You're trained, I'm sure, far better than this. But you know how when somebody comes into worship and it's somebody who's, you know, highfalutin and you're all come gathering around saying, oh, hooray, look who's come to Christ. Look who's coming into our church. And there's that excitement. You can feel that in our disciples here as well. It's not just them, it's the crowd. A large crowd now gathers. They've already gathered around Christ, which is exciting for the apostles. And now with the synagogue rulers showing up, they're thinking, wow, maybe the ministry is taking off here. And we have people coming around Christ now. They're going to really move things forward. And there's excitement. And the crowd knows a miracle is coming as well. Great miracle. Great person. Things are taking off. Everyone is following Christ. And off goes the crowd. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? A large crowd followed Jesus and they pressed around him. You get the picture. They're excited. They're going up the road to Jairus' house. The crowd pressing up around him. A mass. And they're all just jostling on the way up. The apostles around him as well. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Now what is implied by subject to bleeding for 12 years is this is abnormal feminine bleeding. That's exactly what's implied by the text and by the words. That's a terrible thing to be going through. You can imagine for 12 years to be struggling with that and trying to find someone who would take care of a diagnosis for 12 years. And we can sympathize just with the, uh, the suffering on a physical level with somebody who has been wrestling with that for 12 years. But the story, as you know, is taking place in ancient Judea. And in ancient Judea, there are a number of strikes against this woman. Some of them flow out of the culture. Some of them flow out of the scriptures themselves. One of the immediate strikes is she's a woman. Ancient Judea is a spot where the men really had great status, great control, and women had a very circumscribed role in that society. Women were really not drawn into synagogue worship and leading. They were kind of stepped to the side in terms of judgment and lesser status. You've got the synagogue ruler who wants Christ to save his daughter and the crowd pressing onward and some woman with bleeding. Now this gets much deeper if you know your scriptures well. 
Leviticus 15 has an entire chapter. I'm going to test you on Leviticus 15. But Leviticus 15 has an entire chapter that is dedicated to this very problem. And you can imagine if an entire chapter is dedicated to it, this was very deeply woven into Jewish society in the obedience to the law. A woman with a discharge in a monthly sense was not allowed to have relations, or the husband was not allowed to have relations with her. After the time was finished, she would go through a purification process, and then they would come together again. That's kind of set out, that's called nidah, if you know anything about Hebrew, but that's hanidah. The there was another one, and this is the one that she is, and that is when there's abnormal bleeding, where it's not just a normal cycle, but it is abnormal. And in this situation, I'm actually going to read what is actually said. And this is scripture that I'm going to read to you and you begin to understand where the scripture is applied and followed, what this means for her and her life. Again, just to say, even when there's bleeding at all, there's forbidden for the husband any relations to take place. Where there was ceremonial, I'll read in a moment, but where there was this uncleanness, what it meant to be unclean is you could not come into worship into the presence of God. You are not allowed to come into the temple courts itself. This woman, because of the bleeding, is out of worship. You're catching this. She does not come into the presence of God. She is not there with the community gathered in worship. She's outside. And now it gets worse. Here is the scriptures. Leviticus 15, 26 to 27. And just as I read, imagine the pain that starts flowing out of these verses. And this was followed strictly. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean. The bed. As is her bed during her monthly period, same. Anything she sits on will be unclean as during her period. And whoever touches them will be unclean as well. He, assuming it's the husband, he will wash his clothes and bathe in water and he will be unclean until evening. So you understand how this works. If this is a perpetual problem, this uncleanness is perpetually there. And if anybody contacts her, or she sits in any chair, or is on any bed, anyone who contacts the bed or the chair, and now that if you start reading Jewish law, it gets into all kinds of questions. If she was on a ferry boat going across, you know, the Lake Gennesaret, for example, Lake of Galilee, and I got on her chair afterwards, am I unclean? And the answer, of course, was, well, yes. It's, she was sitting there, of course it's unclean. If she got in a, a carriage and had a carriage ride somewhere, what this means is for a woman who has this going on perpetually, everywhere she sleeps, everywhere she sits, everyone she touches is now going to become unclean. Just to make sure we see the fullness of what that means, Leviticus 15.31. You must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean. Did you catch that? So that they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place which is among them. Do you understand what this woman's life is like? After one year, can't go to worship. 
Now, Scripture says nothing about her husband. I'll keep reading in just a moment because it will... I'm going to start reading right now. <laughs> Mark begins to rhapsodize on this. It's a little bit to make sure we understand. She had suffered under a great deal. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. <clears throat> Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. You can imagine why she's spending everything she's got on doctors. You can also understand why you're suffering under a doctor. Ancient medicine, you can imagine all she had to go through. I've got some quotes. I'm not going to read them. You can only imagine the stuff that they were doing back then trying to fix something like this. Spend all you had. She couldn't go into worship. Imagine going shopping. Head down to the grocery store. You can't touch anybody. In fact, you can't sit on anything. You can't feel anything or else you're going to be defiling people and what happens is very quickly almost immediately she is put to the edge of society she is ostracized and she is a poor woman out somewhere begging trying to put together hobble together a life not in worship not in community broken I'm not quite done yet think deeper into what this woman's life is like and the reason why we're doing this it's because she is one of the great rock stars of our faith. Twelve years. Now she's, we have no mention of a husband. We've always implied out of that, we being the church down through the centuries, has always implied out of that she had no husband. If this started when she was young, twelve years, she would not have gotten married. Okay, you, you just, there's not a chance. Ancient Judea had a form of no-fault divorce far and wide for guys. And a male undoubtedly would have divorced her were she married. And she would have been on her own. And that's why none is mentioned. Think of what that means. Loneliness. Brokenness. Shatteredness. Ostracized. Who's taking care? But now keep going farther. This is an ancient society. But we partake in this as well. Children. You grow up thinking family and children and husband and grandchildren and all the family around and the joy of all of life that God brings through family. All of that is now gone. She's lost it all. All of life unraveling around her. And it goes on. I don't know. I'm sure you have a prayer line that you can call up and say pray for me or something. Okay. First month, I've got bleeding. Somebody pray for me and you pray and keeps going. Next month, pray. Nothing happens. Next month, pray. Next month, okay. We'll just make this kind of a perpetual prayer request or something. Then it's about a year and it's like, okay, you're not even in worship anymore because you're gone. And we'll think about you out there somewhere, but and then it just keeps going on and on. And you know people. We're fallen. How do we deal with people that have problems like this? Oh, so often we can turn to gossip or we can turn to what's wrong with her? Why isn't God answering her prayers? And all of this starts coming down on her. People look at her and she kind of hides and on the margins. Now, she hears that Jesus is coming. When she heard about Jesus, 
Now, how is she going to do this? Okay, now, she's not going to come right up in the front. Everybody's going to see her and just you know, run. Or she's just at this point probably so battered down from being outside that she knows, I can't let them see me. So what she does, you know what she does. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Slide up in back there. He's not seeing what's going on. The crowd's going in this direction. If I can just kind of climb up behind him. And here's her actual words. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him as well. And he turned around to the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? Of course, the disciples, you see the people crowding all against you, his disciples answered, and yet you asked, who touched me? There are people jostling you all over the place. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, oh no, she's called out in front of the entire community. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, comes up, falls at his feet, and now the next words. Trembling with fear, told him, The whole truth. I'm going to turn from this for just a minute to my little second point on what is the good news. But I just want to talk about this woman for just a moment. Our Lord, all through his ministry, was very quick to remind us, the first shall be last, the last shall be first, right? The greatest in the kingdom of heaven are the servants of all. And here you have a situation where Jairus, wow, this guy's coming. He's on board. This is wonderful. And the synagogue ruler and this poor woman coming up on the side. Do you realize scripture never gives her name? We're going to have to wait to heaven. She's up with Sandy. One of these days we'll get up there and get the name. Every generation, every generation passed down, all the way down to us today as we hear the story again has heard the story of this woman who is shattered but comes to Christ and is healed. And we go, celebration. In Christ, we are wonderfully and gloriously even. Brothers and sisters, as Paul says, there's no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. It's amazing what happens in Christ, the way he draws together. And just to make sure we all understand that all things are even, who is the one that made her say everything to him? You can imagine how that probably went. She touches, who touched me, what's going on? And here she comes up trembling and falls down and I touched you, sorry, I touched you in Christ. I want to hear the story. And the whole procession stops and this woman sits with Christ and talks. What is the good news? Now, I can define the good news in a lot of different ways. I'm going to give you a line in just a moment. The ultimate good news is God wins. I think you all know that. In the end of the world, God wins. Everything's going to be made right. In this sense, very personally, those who are sick and broken when they come to Christ in faith, they will be healed. 
And here she is experiencing the salvation of Christ. It's a full and glorious salvation. Now you know how that works. We're born spiritually new through faith. The Holy Spirit gives birth to us and to Christ. God guides us all the way through life. Sometimes life is just full of the suffering that you see this woman going through. But God working through all of it is leading us to everlasting life when all will be made new at the resurrection, right? And the bodies will be gloriously transformed. That hope. But I can also say it this way. We come into relationship with God. And here is Christ relating with this woman. The Apostle John in 1 John 1, when he defines the gospel, he says, We speak this to you so that your joy may be complete. And he adds just before that, Our fellowship is with God and our fellowship is with one another. We are in relationship with God. And God walks with us all through life. Okay, I just need to say one thing about Sandy for a moment. I can. Um, I, I think of, when I think of memories of Sandy and ministry in the house over on Omaha and the rest of it, what I remember, what always comes to mind first, there's a lot of things there, Bill, you know, there are a lot of fun and strange stories. <laughs> but what I remember of Sandy is this. As a young kid, starting in high school and a couple times in college when I came back as well, she would cut my hair. Right? We'd go into the kitchen, she'd pull out a, pull out a um, chair, set it down there, and I'd sit down in the chair and sit, and she would start working on my hair. Okay, now moms and dads are critically important in life, right? Those types of maternal figures that come along also. Youth pastor and youth pastor's wife, who comes alongside, and what was fun is here's this figure, maternal figure, yet listening to everything I had to say. She wanted to know the story of life, what you're doing, who you, you know, what's going on, what you're studying, what's the Lord doing in your life, and we would just sit and we would talk. The joy of just fellowship, right? And I look and I think of the joy that we participate in one another, but it's all flowing out of the love that we have for God. And God's love for us in Christ. And here you have Christ sitting her down right in the middle of that crowd and saying, tell me the story. Now today Christ, right hand of the Father, right? The Spirit is in us now guiding. It's the Spirit of Christ. And I, I do wish I could have Christ sometimes right there that I could talk directly. But we know in the Spirit we do. And we can take anything we want to him in prayer. And what you have happening here is this wonderful picture of prayer. As Christ just sits and he listens. The pain, the story, the outcast, and this woman on the margins is brought right into the center of the people of God. I think I can do this, all God's people said. Amen. Here we are in the beauty of the family of God woven together in the person of Christ. Gospel. Okay, now Jairus is listening the whole time. Okay, we've got to come back to Jairus. Well, actually, i got to finish with the woman first, <laughs> Christ. He said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, when we talk about gospel and good news, we ask questions like, what is faith? And this is what's going to come out now. What do I, how do I respond? Now, if I ask you about the faith of this woman, what was the faith of this woman and how did she demonstrate it? 
she decided she was going to come over whatever the, uh, the problems socially of coming to Christ and she had just decided I am coming to Christ and all I need to do is touch him and if I can just touch him that's enough and I'll be saved and here you have faith and it's just most simple form just give me his robe and that's enough and it was enough just simple Christ faith now Jairus is in the same situation and we get to see his faith before I write, read any more, Jairus' daughter is dying. He has gone on a journey to get to Christ. They have to walk all the way back to the house. What is Jairus doing the whole time this episode is taking place with this woman? I don't know. <laughs> I think fidgeting, <laughs> tapping his foot. Can we hurry up? <laughs> Come on. Faster. Or even, and this is, can we do this after? Let's go heal her. We'll have a big potluck and then we can have the whole story, right? Or we can do it next week in synagogue somewhere. We can have her come up front. You can interview her. But right now, really, let's get to the, right? There's Christ just, now of course, God has all things in control. Christ knows exactly what's going on. But you can see poor Jairus sitting here. And Christ in his goodness says this. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Too late. He took too much time. Ignoring what they said, Jesus said to the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Catch that? Just Believe. Isn't it wonderful how Christ makes this about as easy as can be? <laughs> Jairus comes and said, here's the request for you. Christ turns to him and says, look, okay, all you need is just, you don't have to go through miraculous statements or profound whatever. Just believe and I will take care. One of my favorite parables, Christ likens our faith to a mustard seed. The tiniest of the little seeds sprouts into a glorious bush, right? Just believe. Now we come to death. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother, James, the brother, I'm sorry, Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Those are the three that were very close to Christ. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and he said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. <laughs> what do you mean she's asleep? She's dead. The sheet's over her. It says she's done. What do you mean? We're wailing and crying because death seems to be so final. Here you have Christ, the author of life, the one through whom the Father has made all things, standing right there, the one who will raise the dead someday that we have put our faith in, that we will be raised when he returns. Here he is standing right there looking. He put them out. Get the crying and the wailing out. Just out. We'll have Jairus, family, the three. He put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him 
and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha, kum. Peter, we believe the preaching of Peter is behind Mark. That's one of the ancient traditions of the church. And you can imagine right here as Peter's preaching along in Greek, he suddenly stops and says, I was there. And he reached out and he grabbed that girl's hand, that cold, dead hand, and he looked and he said, and there Peter has to drop into his language Aramaic, Talitha kum, little girl, get up. Immediately, the little girl got up, she walked around, <clears throat> she was about 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> 12 years old. I'm going to end with this. 12 years old? How long was a lady bleeding? And now suddenly all the wheels and the... Oh, 12. Do you realize what was happening in this town? When this woman began bleeding, Jairus and his wife were pregnant. And a girl was born even as this other woman was being slowly moved out of society who could never have a child. And one family is becoming established and right in the middle of the community and become synagogue ruler and everything was great and this other woman over on the other side was everything was falling apart and for 12 years this girl's growing up and for 12 years this poor woman is watching what's going on how do we as a church the people of God deal with this okay let me put the question a different way what does suffering do in the Christian life? We were in, we're in Saugatuck right now as a church I'm serving. And we were at the beach. I saw a couple, we were just, this is a few years back, we we're sitting at the beach just kind of watching our lawn chairs. And you get a lot of tourists coming in in the summertime, you know, and they're at Oval Beach. Got the kites out. And it was a young couple, young boy, they were going to try to teach him how to fly a kite. So they got the flight, got the kite up, and Dad was all excited, and there was a good breeze blowing, and so Dad, you know, got ready, and the breeze was coming down, and he said, let's go. Started running right along with the breeze, and the kite would go right to the ground. Like, oh, it didn't work that time. So the Dad would come back again, try to get it all lined up and straighted up, and get that thing going, the breeze is blowing, and get, get, catch the breeze and get the thing up, and the kite would... So I... There was a point where I, this is maybe a little demonic on my side, but anyway, where you're watching, you think, how long is he going to do this before he figures this out? <laughs> you know? How do you make a kite go up? Against the wind, right? Eventually, we got around to get, get him on the right side and run that way. Really? You got to run into the wind, run into the wind. Now, you understand the glory of this woman's faith. Paul states it this way. He says, we even give thanks in our suffering. Well, James, I'll read James, quote James first. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials of all kinds because you know what the testing of your faith brings? Patience. Patience, character, character. Those are Paul's words now. 
We rejoice even in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 5. Suffering is where you draw very close to God. The God who put his son on the cross. The one who died for us. And it draws us close to him. And we grow in that suffering. And this woman through all of those years and I don't want to get all emotional with Sandy. Cancer sometimes you can watch and see. But then the soaring that comes spiritually in the midst of the suffering. And you know this in life. You grow close to God when the challenges are there. When everything is fine, it can be so easy to coast. Here you have 12 years of one woman learning eventually how to soar. One family that will come to terms with death and then all coming together into Christ. Twelve years. Imagine the marvel of God and the wonder of how God works all things together for good. Twelve years. Knowing that there would come a day when Jesus would be coming across in a boat, get out of the boat, and the daughter would be gravely sick, and two people would collide running into Jesus. One, a synagogue ruler, who got there first, <laughs> more, more important, got there first, got the crowd going, and another one that realized I'm going to have to slide up behind now and try to grab him somehow. And those two lies suddenly intersected right into Christ, and Christ transforms both. A woman set free, a daughter given life. Let me just say this just as we go out to serve our Lord for another week. God is so wondrous in working life together for good. That great hope, I just quoted Romans 8 to you, that great hope that God who gave us Christ is the one who will have us conquer over all things in due time. And the great hope that is set before us. And though Sandy is now waiting, she's waiting in heaven for the body that will meet her one of these days <laughs> when Christ transforms it, makes it new. The same Lord that can look at this little life and just take the hand and say, Talitha Kum, get up, is the same Lord that will call us awake from our sleep, the body to everlasting life. What a glorious hope we have set before us. And through all the suffering of life, a Savior that walks through it with us. And when the, tribal, the troubles are there, we every day can turn to him and say, Lord, I pour out my heart, listen to the story of Christ the Good Shepherd guiding us on the way. And that speaks comfort. And should we be at a spot in life where things are going pretty well, all on the up and up, find these poor women on the outside. <laughs> I shouldn't say poor women. All of us in various times. And draw together into fellowship. Again, I think of Sandy bringing young kids into that house, you and Bill, draw, or you, you and Sandy, Bill, together and drawing them together. Find ways of knitting that community that we might love one another and spur each other on on the way, always pulling together into the body of Christ. Why don't you join me just in a moment of prayer. Holy Father, we thank you for a story that encourages Thank you for a Savior that has come, that came from glory, was incarnate as a human being and walked among us showing us the way of righteousness, showing us your grace and your love, going to the cross for our sins, 
through the Spirit doing this wonderful work of salvation in us. And Father, we thank you for the one that walks with us. Our Savior, Lord, is at your right hand interceding for us and we're thankful for that intercession. We're thankful for the Spirit from you, Father and Son, filling us and moving us and guiding us through life, bringing us through the various trials to the end of our faith. Encourage us on the way. Father, as grace has spoken your gospel through so many years, continue to grace it with that good news of Christ, the one who saves. Fill it always, fill us always with a hope and a willingness whenever that chance may arise to share that hope as it is there, the one who has brought us healing. And as there is suffering, Lord, and there is sorrow, bring grace in the midst of it. Father, we praise these things in the name of Christ our Savior, who does live and reign with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.